Good morning. Well, you've already picked up on the fact that we are uh, starting a new series today. And I'll give you just a brief intro of where we're going and why, uh, what we hope to get out of this series. So we're going to be working through uh, the book of Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, our, our intent really is to glean from uh, creation, uh, from the account of creation, um, God's intent and purpose for the world. Because what happens in chapter 3 really skews um, the, what God had intended for creation. Like what happens in chapter 3 casts this shadow um, that, that really distorts the created world. And that's where we live today. There's so much about what we see in the world today is a distortion of what was. And so our hope is to like glean from those early moments um, in a similar way that we did in Acts 2 with the church. But like, what was God's intent and purpose in those early moments that we might begin to pick up on glimpses of that intent and purpose today in the world around us? And from there, that we might even understand better our uh, purpose in this world, God's intent for our lives. And so we're going to today cover the first 25 verses of uh, Genesis 1, and then we'll slow down after that uh, for the next few weeks. This series will take us all the way to Easter. So to give you an idea how long we're going to be in, in these few chapters, um, but that's our hope. Our hope is to better understand the world God created, that we might better understand our purpose and his intent for our lives in the, in the world that we live in. And so I know it's already been said in our time together um, how important worship is. Um, that's been said several times, and that's, it's true. Um, and what we've learned together, especially in our last sermon series, is that worship is so much more than the songs we sing. Like worship when we gather together um, as his people, um, it's the prayers that we pray. Um, it is the songs that we sing. It's the communion that we share with one another. Um, it's the opening and the reading of God's word together. It's even the fellowship, the hugs, the handshakes, the, the how was your week that we share out in the commons area. All of that is worship. And what we're going to learn today is that worship is actually bigger than that. That really all of life is worship. And that like that's primarily what you were hardwired to do. Like even before mom, husband, wife, dad, kids, school, vocation, all those sorts of things that you do. Before that, um, and more important than that, you were hardwired to worship. And you were always worshiping whether it's active or passive. Like you were created to do that. You can't not do that. And so what we're going to see today, though, is how, uh, how creation itself, because we, we haven't got to the part, the part where God says, I'm going to create man yet, right? That'll be next week. But just what can we glean from creation, the created world, and how does that impact who we are today, and what does that say about our worship? That's where we're headed together. And so I'm glad to, to start this series with you. Um, the, uh, Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've actually been waiting for months to to teach this with you, but I want to just say up front, um, you know, as we move through the scriptures together, um, there are different places in the Bible that, um, that unfortunately can divide us. Uh, the book of Revelation is one of those books in the Bible. It's beautiful. It's, it's inspired. It's meant to encourage the saints and to, and to tell us what is to come. But so many times in the church, we, we get caught up and tripped up over the interpretations, and it ends up dividing us instead of uniting us. Uh, the book of Genesis can be like that, the creation account. And so our aim today is really to let Scripture speak for themselves, not to enter into controversies or different camps of, of theology or interpretation, but to simply let the Word speak for itself. You know, our view um, as a church of Scripture is, is a high view of Scripture. We believe the Bible is inspired, meaning that 
that even though the human authors had a reason why they sat down to write, that the Holy Spirit of God was superintending or superimposing his intentions over those human authors and directing every word. Inspired, believe it's inerrant, it's without error, right? We believe that. We believe that it's infallible, that it accomplishes all that it sets out to. It never fails. The promises always come true, that what God says will happen will actually happen. That's our view of Scripture. So we're going to take that approach today as we open God's Word together. Now, Genesis 1, uh, we're going to start in the first two verses. Let's, let's look at this again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And already we've, we've learned a lot about the world we see. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. This is ground zero of everything that you and I see, smell, taste, touch, anything we can measure and see with, whether that's with a telescope or with a microscope, every human interaction, this is ground zero, the starting point. It's not just the starting point of the Bible, although it is a starting point of the Bible. This is the starting point of the universe. All matter finds its origins in the words we just read. All time, all space begins here in the beginning. And clearly, God is the author. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, God creates. Now, it's interesting how Moses is more than likely the author writing this down how he describes this, because in the Hebrew language, they didn't really have a word at this time for the cosmos of the universe. So he says, the heavens and the earth, meaning everything and anything you can see, God created everything, which then means everything that is under his rule and reign. Everything. Now, one of the things that we're going to discover together in this series is that what we look at in Genesis 1 and 2 at times is hard to see in the world we live in today. That something happens in Genesis 3 to cast a shadow, as we've already talked about, or to fracture the goodness in what God created. And so things begin to distort or eclipse God's goodness in the created world. We have situations like Ukraine, situations like what's going on in Afghanistan, in India, in Africa, South America, persecution against God's people, tragedy, catastrophes. Some of you may be even walking through your own catastrophe or suffering right now. And, and, and so there's an eclipse. It's hard. You have to look. You have to be intentional to see God's goodness in just everyday things. But what we're about to walk through together is not distorted at all. And I love that Ken used the word beautiful. As he was praying that prayer, I was standing over here and I was thinking, you know, what I'm supposed to do today by preaching and teaching really is secondary to what Ken did, just the reading of God's word. Reading it as his people, allowing God to speak through, through his word. And like I was overwhelmed, like I, my, my eyes were starting to water as Ken was praying, as I was thinking about the beauty of what was in the beginning, right? Not distorted, not jaded, 
not corrupt, not broken, not fractured, not overshadowed, and not eclipsed. In the beginning, ground zero, God creates. Now, there are different approaches that Christians will take to this passage. Some will take an apologetic approach um, to this idea that everything started with God. And so if you take that approach, it usually follows this vein of thought that something had to come from somewhere, <laughs> right? You can't, nothing can't all of a sudden become something. It doesn't matter how big the bang was, <laughs> right? right? Something can't, can never come from nothing. And even if it could, something coming from nothing, that something couldn't like become alive on its own right and so we look at you know what science informs us about the created world and we recognize things like you know like like things can maybe morph or, or change or adapt but but on a cellular level level or on an atomic level the created world can't progress towards complexity it can only move either horizontally or it begins to reduce in complexity so I want you to think about that for a minute. Like you can't, you can't take a single cell organism and it can't beget or give birth to an organism that is more complex than it is, right? And so if we were to continue this conversation, I think it would be easy to get to a place where we would say, there's no way that evolution can be the answer to the question, where did this all come from, right? And that would be an apologetic approach to the idea of creation. Matter can't beget matter. Matter can't beget life. Life can beget life because that's how God created it, right? But you can't take sand, you, you can't and I can't, and the smartest scientists in the world can't take sand and, and put it together and make it come alive. Not even a single cell organism. Only life can beget life. So think about that for a minute. I know that there have been many attempts, and we'll maybe talk about this in a minute if we have time, for Christians to try to reconcile science and creation at this level, to somehow want to pacify both and to bring both together. Here's what I want us to, regardless of whether or not you're an old earth or a young earth Christian, we, we don't necessarily need to get into that. What I would propose to you, even just by basic apologetics, is this, God did not use evolution to create. Actually, the Hebrew word is pretty clear. God made it. He wasn't a spectator. He wasn't just sitting on the sidelines watching creation happening, going, oh, I'm so glad it's working out. No, he actually spoke it into existence. That's how nothing became something. That's how it became something. Now, the book of Hebrews and many places in the New Testament not only tell us that's the way we're supposed to view creation, but even give us some indication why that's the appropriate view of creation. So in the book of Hebrews, for example, chapter 11, this is a chapter on faith. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, that you can't see. For by it, the people of old... Speaking of the people of the Old Testament, received their commendation, their approval, their sense of acceptance into God's kingdom. 
And by faith, we, the church, understand that the universe was created by what? The word of God. And so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I don't need apologetics. God's word just told me that what we read in Genesis 1 is not allegory. It's not a figure of speech. It has some poetry embedded in it, which is beautiful, but is, is a literal account that God created. And that we are to view creation through the lens of faith. Listen, first. Now, in my humble opinion, a big mistake that the church has made of the last 150 years is to hold science at such a distance that there is no sense of wanting to hear what science has, science has to observe. Here's how I would view science and encourage you to view science. Science is a spectator and science is a student of the created world. Science actually evolves. You know that, right? You, the earth used to be flat and it's not flat anymore. And if you still believe the world's flat, I'm gonna give you a big hug after the service, but the world's not flat. We can, we can argue the moon landing, but the world's not flat. But at one point, that was the latest science. Science has evolved. It's still evolving. It's a moving target. The, the earth is a million years old. No, no, take that back. It's a billion years old. No, take that back. It's 60. Like, it's always evolving as a spectator and a student of God's created world. Now, that being said, science bears testimony. I'm not saying that scientists always bear testimony, but science itself can bear testimony to what we're talking about. So, so I wouldn't keep science at, at a distance. We just need to understand science doesn't get the first voice. Science is just a spectator doing its best to, to describe and explain and study the created world. Science is not the source. It is the spectator. Now, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him, this is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, which is where we're going to go in a minute. But clearly, the authors of the New Testament want all believers, want the church to see this creation account and see that God spoke. God created. John chapter 1, verse 1, this is the introduction to Jesus and the gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Whoo, that's Jesus in the Word. He was with God, he was God, he was there. Awesome, what does verse, two say, or verse 3 say? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made that was made. So these are all biblical proposals that are inviting you to, to view creation through the lens of faith to believe to see science as a spectator and a student not necessarily an adversary but just as a spectator of the created world and listen we are not under the burden of reconciling science to scriptures we aren't it would be a fool's errand. Because if we would go back in time 50 years 
and do our best to reconcile the scriptures to whatever the latest testimony of science was, even if we could have accomplished that, we'd have to do it all over again today because science is constantly changing. God's word is not changing. Listen to me. What actually happened is not changing. It happened. (laughs) That's what Moses is trying to say. It's happened. This is how it happened. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Like I think for far too long, the church has kind of kept science at a distance and said, well, science has nothing to say. Science in itself is not an adversary of the faith. I like to listen to science, especially like the latest on neuroscience, and we'll get into that maybe in this series, where neuroscience itself is giving testimony to the gospel. Blow you away. You're like, whoa. But our starting point is God's word. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look together, verse 3, day 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness was called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. A couple things here. What we're going to see is this pattern with each day that doesn't change. We'll get to that at the very end, but it's already, it's already beginning here. And so here in day one, Uh, We're seeing that God is creating this rhythm for life of day and evening. It's happening already. Um, We don't even have the sun or the moon yet. The stars, the solar system, like already, there's this sense that that there's a rhythm to creation that is God-designed and it is good. It's good for you to be alive and to work throughout the day and to get to a place where you begin to get tired and you lay your head down on a pillow and you say, that's enough, I'm going to rest. And then you sleep, and then you wake up the next day. Now, there's some discussion um, about uh, the age of the earth and the age of humanity, and oftentimes in, in this line of thought or in these arguments, there's some discussion about the length of the days. And this, what I'm about to say, is not um, in an attempt to debunk young earth, old earth, or anything like that. I just want to speak about God's word. I just want to let God's word speak. Um, Clearly from this text, the Hebrew word that is used here is a description of a 24-hour period. That's how the Hebrews used the word. And clearly from day one, there was what? Morning and evening. Like we already, it's not like you could say, so like in, oftentimes people will refer to 2 Peter 3 verse 8 where it talks about a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. If you've, you've read that before, sometimes that'll come up in this argument and go, well, maybe these were thousand-year increments, but the text doesn't say that. Like, it wasn't used allegorically, this idea of a day, like the increment of time is stamped on it. It had morning and it had evening, and God was very intentional about that. You know, you, you can debate maybe that there's some generations missing from the lineage, and maybe the earth is older than, it, than what, you know, we might think. Like, that, that's, that's, that's fine and well. But in these moments, like, this is happening. And the first day was 24 hours long. There was morning, there was evening. Even before there was a solar system. What about light? Where did light come from? This is super cool. We don't have time to dig into this. But when you get to Revelation 21, verse 3, here's where the source of light is on day one. We read about it in Revelation 21. It'll be the same source of light for all eternity. 
in the city, talking about Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? Because the people love darkness? No. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Day one had light because God's glory was shining, radiating on creation. That was day one. Day two. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the water from the waters. Like literally in the Hebrew language, the idea is let the waters be drawn together to expose dry land. So whatever God's starting with here is kind of kind of in our minds, it's this ball of water, but there was already like dry land and he's, he's gathering the waters together that, ex, that it will expose the dry land. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. Oh, look at this. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. And God saw it was what? It was good. It was good. Now, I love this, because what you're going to see through the creation of Count is everything is, is building up to this crescendo of the creation of mankind. And we won't make it all the way there today, but you can already see God making provision for what he intends to create. He's already giving space. I mean, if his intent were just fish and things of the sea, he's kind of done. And the land is just extra bonus, but he's like, it's crescendoing, it's building to something. God is building a dwelling place for man. Verse 11, and God said, this is day three, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, and each according to its kind. And God saw that it was, and there was evening and there was morning on the third day. You see how intentional Moses was here? These are very, very clear 24-hour increments of time. Creation has a theological beginning. It's meant to be viewed through the lens of faith. Here, day three, water, sunlight, soil for plants, plants for the creatures. Like, you can already build, feel that crescendo building, can't you? Like, God's goodness is already evident. He didn't create man. Man got hungry, and God's like, I don't know, look around and find something. <laughs> right? That's how we treat our kids. Like, it's food in the fridge and the pan. I like, go find something. Like God's, he's building provision even before he creates man. Day four, verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for the days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which is the sun, the lesser light to rule the night, which is the moon and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanse of heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. Oh, and God saw that it was, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Like, Moses wasn't dumb. He knew, like, he knew that he was writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about day four, that people were going to go, how does that work, Moses? Like, how can there be day and evening on day one and day two and day three? And then, oh, yeah, on day four, we get a solar system. Like, he knew that. God creates the solar system, the rest of the universe. And what I begin to see here is, like, God starts with earth and then builds everything out from there. And as the days unfold of creation, there's this crescendo building to day six we'll go to day five verse 20 god said let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens have you been blown away by a bird lately if not you're missing a piece of worship i was on a plane a couple planes yesterday as amazed as I am that we take that many people and that much luggage and that much weight and we put it up in the air, like just sit and watch a bird fly. And, and you'll realize that airplanes are really just a kind of a counterfeit version of that. Because the first sign of turbulence, I'm like, I hope this thing stays in the air. Because why? Because it was, it was built by man. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Pilots get sleepy. Architects have bad days. Engineers have bad days. Sometimes the calculation, like, I'm thinking about it, right? This airplane was built by a fallible man, but when I see a bird, it was created by an infallible God. So on day five, God creates these birds to fly across the earth. Verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. Could this be the dinosaurs? Yeah. Shouldn't be that bad. Like, yeah. God created them. Big creatures. A lot of them living in the sea. God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves, in which the waters swarm according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was, go ahead and say it, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Now here's what's interesting. The be fruitful and multiply is going to come up again next week, but there's going to be a difference that we're going to point out between how God says it to the creatures versus what he says to man. And I'm going to wait till next week. But you already kind of see that coming. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. He says that, he prays that, he speaks that blessing over his creation. So day six, we're just going to cover the first part of day six. We're going to save the part for next week where God creates mankind. So verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Like, the pattern's so obvious, right? Like, 
God speaks. It's this Hebrew word, amar. It means literally to speak. It means allegorically to speak. Like, it doesn't mean like it, mean, it only means to speak. So that's the mechanism through which God created. He spoke. And God saw that it was good, this Hebrew word tob. Good, beneficial, pleasant, favorable, and right. We'll come back to that. And God called. Kara, this Hebrew word, it means to address something by name. That's a mountain. That's a bird. That's a fish. It's a dog. It's a sloth. It's a marigold. It's a star. It's a meteor. God spoke. He saw it was good. He called it by name. And there was evening and there was morning. Each day of creation. Now, there is a lot packed into those days of creation. And if we were in a different series, we could spend weeks, if not months, unpacking. That's not the intent of this series. We're simply asking the question, what's it all for? What's the intent and purpose of all this so that we might better understand our intent and purpose on the earth? What is it that God created that was so good before it got distorted and fractured that I might better understand what he's putting back together in my life. What is this all for? This will take us to Romans chapter 1. And this is where we're going to land today. Paul goes to great lengths to talk about creation and what it's all for. And, spoiler alert, he's going to call out where most of us, a lot of us, miss it. And what happens when we miss it. So he's not only going to tell us the purpose and intent of creation, what it's meant to do, he's also going to give us a warning on what happens when we miss it. Romans chapter 1, let's, let's start in verse 18 together. And uh, we'll read down through verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's easy to see. Because God has shown it to them. But when did he show it to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since when? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The burden isn't on God. The indictment isn't against God. That's not fair. The indictment's against us. What we've missed isn't because God made it hard to see he made it clear, he made it plain, but yet we miss it. And here's what happens when we miss it. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
And look at this. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, man and birds and animals and creeping things. What happens is when we miss seeing the invisible attributes of God in creation that are plain, that are easy to see, we miss it, we'll exchange the glory of God, our worship of God, and we'll begin to aim it at what? The things that have been made. Images is what he says of God's creation. Some of these carved on a stick or a totem pole, some of these painted on a wall. All of it painted where? On our hearts. Jesus is super clear in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Sin starts here, long before it ends up on a totem pole, long before it ends up as a golden calf. It starts in our hearts. This is where idolatry begins. And when we miss seeing God's glory in creation, we'll begin to aim. I remember how we were, were created to worship. You can't help but worship. You're going to aim your worship lower at something created, something you can in your mind control or manipulate you may still call it god it's just not god verse 24 therefore god gave them over gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever let's talk about this for just a minute the ultimate we'll get to mo this again next week your ultimate hardwired intent and purpose in the universe is to to worship god and to glorify him all things were created through him and for him including you and me okay but everything else that was created is is meant to reflect his glory in a way where when we look at it it causes us to aim our worship up like to be, to be amazed by God's creation. When you look through a microscope and you look on a cellular level at organic life, it's supposed to like turn your heart in words and go, oh my gosh, God is amazing. And the more you begin to extract DNA and kind of understand how organic life works and it begets more life, like you're to, you're to be overwhelmed with God's goodness, his power, his invisible attributes, namely his divinity. Should you be so lucky to go outside at night far enough away from the created lights of man and look up into the sky to be overwhelmed by the solar system, the galaxies, the, just, the, just the Milky Way itself? You've got to go a long ways these days to get there. Right, Billy? <laughs> Some beautiful places up in the mountains you can go where the mountains will shield the, the light of man, the artificial light, and you look up at the, at the sky and you're just overwhelmed. I didn't know all that was up there. And all that is meant to bear testimony. It's meant to cause you to go, well, how big is it? Where does it end? I can't get to the end of it, yet it has to end somewhere. But guess who doesn't end? God. He's beyond wherever it ends. And so when you look at creation, it's meant to swell up worship in your hearts and aim it up to God. Moses was showing us the purpose of creation. Creation is meant to glorify God and to, to draw our gaze upward. Go, wow, isn't God good? Isn't 
Isn't he amazing? Isn't he big? But then we get a warning, don't we? When we fail to see God in the created world, we're going to aim our worship at something lower. Something lower. Either the created world, that's what he's talking about here, created things, fish or birds or creatures, or something you create, even lower than that. You know that your creations are lower than God's creations, right? I mean, you create some pretty cool stuff. I mean, technology is like, like we create, whereas image bearers, we create things, songs and art and poetry and spreadsheets and all kinds of things that we create. And, but you understand, you, our creation is like even lower than birds. We'll aim our worship at something lower and lower and lower. This is where I want to wrap up today. I want you to think about the things in your life and in your world that potentially eclipse your heart from seeing God's glory. Maybe you spend too much time in the creation of man. I'm not saying that creation of man is bad. It's part of your image-bearing qualities. You create to show, give testimony to a creator, but maybe you're spending too much time there in your own creation or the creation of man. Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do this week is go outside. Go find a park. Go to the Fort Worth Nature Center. Go for a walk without an agenda other than just to look. Go down the Trinity River and just sit and watch the water move. Go out to Mineral State Park. If you know somebody that has land, go further. If you're not quite sure where to go, come talk to me or Billy Warren. We'll tell you where to go, where you can look up at the sky and see the, the Milky Way. For most of us, if not all of us, that's your spiritual act of worship this week. Go outside and look at creation and behold the glory of God in a way that aims your worship upward. And you don't even need a song for that. You don't need me to be there or the band to be there. Or you don't have to do it in here. Just think about this. Have you ever, like, smelt freshly tilled soil? Like, have you ever held it in your hand? Don't eat it. Eat the stuff that comes out of it, but don't eat it. But, like, just to smell it. The brightness of the stars the infinite, seemingly infinite colors of green that are about to happen all around us in about two to three weeks. Like in a few weeks when everything just, just all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, whoa! Everything, like go sit in a park for a few and just try to count the number of shades of green. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the color green? Like I'm serious, like weeping because you see the goodness of God. As winter gives way to spring and the death of the vegetation gives way to light, and it reminds us of the resurrection of Christ that even in our darkest hour, hope is coming. You get all that from the color green. Some other things to think about. The ruling authority of the lion, the gentleness and meekness of a newborn fawn, the terror of a violent predator, the slowness of the sloth, the speed of the cheetah, 
the majesty of Mount Rainier. If you've ever been around, been able to land or take off from SeaTac Airport in just south of Seattle, Washington. But it only happens like in July and August because the rest of the time it's raining. One time when I took off from SeaTac, headed back home, uh, it was a clear day. It was cloud up high, but it was clear, and you could see Mount Rainier. It disappeared into the clouds. And so I had a Blackberry back then. I took a picture of it through the window of the airplane, and then we went up into the clouds and lost sight of it. And then we broke through that barrier of clouds, and there was Mount Rainier again. And so I took another picture, but I noticed there was another ceiling of clouds higher, and it disappeared again. I was like, this is so amazing. And then we blew through that layer of clouds, and I could see off in the distance the top of Rainier and just snapped another picture later. The majesty of something like that. The depths of the ocean, the grandeur of snow-capped mountains, the orange of the sun as it sets on the ocean, the cold of the Arctic, the heat of the desert, all of these things reflect the invisible attributes of God. And he's good. You can see God's goodness in creation. One of my favorite conversations I've had so far with my oldest son about God and Scripture was about Romans 1. We were in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, we were up at uh, this big lake that's about 12,500 feet. And we had left our camp spot and went higher up on the mountain. And we were sitting there looking across the valley, another mountain. And, and, and Hudson asked me about Romans 1. Like, what happens to the people who have never heard about God? And I was like, well, I'll tell you. So I pulled out my phone, and I went to Romans 1, and I read it to him. He's like, well, help me understand that. Like, how do you see God in what's been created? It's a great question. Let's just look. What do you see? Uh, I see a mountain. Okay, what do you see on it? Trees? Grass? What do you think that, why do you think God put grass over there? Well, because there's, there's some mule deer over there, and they need, yeah. What else do you see? I see the river. Why do you think God created a river? I don't know, there's fish in it. That's cool. If I'm a fish, I'd like to be in a river. I'd be in water, at least. River's pretty cool. Why do you think God put fish in the river? Maybe so that the bears could eat them? Yeah, and we just ate some. Like, God's goodness, his provision, his grace, and his mercy. You can see it when you look at creation. So I'm going to end with a few questions for us to think about, and and I want to lead us in a time of prayer, and our worship team is going to come back out and lead us in singing together. I want you to think about this. When was the last time you were blown away by God's incomprehensible and invisible attributes? Blown away. Like you tried to think about it, how big he was. You tried to think about how kind he was. You tried to think about like, how big is this? Like you just tried to think about something about God, and it just, like, you just had to back away from it. You're like, it's just big. It's too big. I can't comprehend it. Like, when was the last time you were blown away by God? What's something, as I was going through a list of things that blow me away about God, what was, what's something that blows you away? What's something about God's creation that's your favorite? That every time you see it or hear it or smell it or touch it, it, like, it causes your heart to rise and and worship. And what's something you can do this week to intentionally interact with God's creation in a way that engages your heart? And I want to end with this final thing. I think the Bible is super clear. God is the source of all things. He created. 
He wasn't a spectator at creation. He's the source of, he actually made it happen. He made nothing become something, and then something become alive. He did that, and he did it with intent and purpose. And here's the hard part. Until you see him as the creator, you're going to have a hard time seeing him as the healer. Until you see him as the creator, you're going to have a hard time seeing him as the provider. Until you see him as the creator of all things, you're going to have a hard time seeing him as the sustainer, the savior. I'm telling you. If he isn't the creator of all things, you're going to encounter something in this world that's too big for you, and you're going to need a God who's bigger than that. And he has to first be creator, and from there, he is all those other things. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're a Christ follower and and you're struggling with this idea of seeing God as the creator, you're going to have a hard time seeing God as anything else. Your view of God will be too small. He'll be too short. He'll, He'll suffice in like the you know, those moments where you just need a buddy to kind of help you out with something, but when you hit a hard tragedy in life, he won't be big enough. And so I want to leave you with that thought this morning as we pray together, as we get ready to sing. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and God, my prayer is that your voice has been the primary voice heard today, that as we've read your scripture together, even as I've talked about it, that father more than anything that you have spoken to us and god you have shown us some things about the created world father we confess how complacent we have become for far too long we have exchanged the the, your glory for the glory of created things if we're going to be really honest god and think about all the different things that our hearts worshiped the past week, God. For a lot of us, your create, like you through creation is at the bottom of the list. We worship our career path, we worship our relationships, we worship our what people think about us, we worship the way people applaud us, our accolades, our achievements, our success, we worship all these things. in exchange for your glory. God, would you recapture that in us this morning? God, if we're to be your people, if we're to walk in our created intent and purpose, Father, we are to look at the world you created and it is to stir us, to overwhelm us, to to rise up this, this thing within us, this affection for you within us, this sense of awe within us, God. Father, help us to be worshipers this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.